for October 24th, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 747. There's Arnold Schwarzenegger, Taylor Swift, and then there's Danny DeVito, Taylor Swift. Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Growing Up Swiftly, where we debate the the secret of our parentage and, and what it has done to it. No, it's the Overthinking a Podcast, where we subject <laughs> the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are sitting around a dinner table, locked in a delightful discussion of something that, uh, that delights us. It delights us more when it delights us together. And then suddenly... Through the door bursts a uh, 18-foot-tall Taylor Swift. What? She's she's come to ruin our dinner to take our comically small wine bottle and and uh, and you know wreak wreak havoc and mayhem upon our our convivial gathering. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with my good friends Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hey, unfortunately, I'm here armed with a bow and arrow, just arrows so that I can uh, shoot a giant Taylor Swift through the heart. So a couple we've we've been eagerly in this household we've been uh, eagerly anticipating the uh, arrival of Swiftsmith which is uh, any day that Taylor Swift releases a new a new record and it showed up uh, October 21st at midnight eastern time 9 p.m. uh 9 p.m. pacific time coincidentally the same time that we released this podcast except uh, we do it on we do it on Monday and uh there was no uh you know you you might be familiar with uh, our our various correspondence our various musical correspondence for example uh we've had uh, TFT punk and uh you know hardcore correspondent Rachel D on the show uh we have um uh, we have Taylor Swift correspondent Christina M on the show Christina welcome to the overthinking podcast Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's a pleasure, uh, and I'll I'll add that that Christina M will in five days become Christina W. Uh, we're just we're just rotating. Whoa! She's doing a handstand. Yeah, we're we're rotating the letter around oh. 180 degrees. <laughs> Um, yes. So my, my fiance and very, very shortly to be wife uh, is a. Would you describe yourself as a Taylor Swift stan? Yes, yeah, since 2007. Um. Like an OG Taylor Swift stand. What uh, what record was your first Taylor Swift record? I saw her tour on her very first album in May of two thousand eight. What uh, what venue did she play in Los Angeles? She played the Stagecoach Festival when it was super bright outside. She was probably playing around two p.m. at Stagecoach because nobody knew who she was. Now, uh, if we were to drive to get to Stagecoach, how how would we go there? Would you, would you take the 10 or do you think you would take the 60 and pick up the 10 around Riverside? I don't know how to answer. Is this the show? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? It, it is indeed. If you get to the Stagecoach Festival, it's held on the polo grounds where uh where um the better known Coachella Festival is held usually a couple weeks earlier. And uh, to get there from this house, you would take Venice Boulevard out to the 405, 405 to the 10, to the 60, back to Interstate 10. Um, yes, no, we just, uh, it is a joke. We just joke about uh, how in Los Angeles we only ever talk about how to get places and the the various names of streets and neighborhoods. So we have a real, uh, we have actually a real world's greatest expert on the the history of of Taylor Swift. So tell us a little bit, Christina, about what, um, h- how you have, uh, you know, how you have experienced this album, what you think of it, where you think it fits in the general Taylor story, the Taylor, the Taylor canon, a little bit. Let me start by asking: ha- Have you had a chance to listen to this album much? I have. I think it's been on repeat uh, at twenty twenty times at this point. Uh, so I've listened to it. Not nearly enough, but that's yeah. Not not exactly every waking hour, just most waking, most waking hours. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you think about uh, where you know where it fits in the in the Swift uh, cinematic universe. Well, I think, and I think I can speak for a lot of Swifties here, is that she. We feel like we've grown up with her, um, and millennials, Gen Zers, we feel like we've grown up with her, and. 
you know, in 2008, she was writing songs about uh, getting her driver's license and the boy in the hallway in school breaking her heart. And um, and now she's grown up. She's in her 30s now. And we're and she's writing songs about what I like to call the self-esteem monster. Sure. This um this the the uh first single, the track, the video has a literal self-esteem monster yeah. in it. And that's uh that's that is her. She shows up uh kind of doubled a couple times in in uh this video where she plays different characters which represent either different like parts of her personality, different aspects of herself or maybe herself under different circumstances or uh or things like this. Is this the only song like this? Uh, and and we're talking about the song "Antihero," which is the third the third track, the first single on on the album. Is that the only is that the only song like this, or is her own kind of self image and self conception sort of an overriding theme of this album? And if not, what are the overriding themes? I think the I think it is a big part of this album, kind of the self realization that that one gets once they do reach you know, their thirties and, um, and, you know, reflect about, reflect on their life in their twenties and, and the way they see themselves positioned in the world. Um, so I do think that's an overarching theme. Um, I think that she's, she's been in a stable relationship, uh, with an actor for about six years. And so that plays a role in this album as well. There are a couple of really uh, sweet love songs on there um, about things not being so chaotic but being stable and consistent and again I think that's something that people in their 30s really identify with so, that, so because people in their 30s are stable and consistent more so than in their 20s <laughs> okay even the unstable and inconsistent people were more unstable and inconsistent in in their 20s um mark i don't know you i don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the, the whole album or not but i i know you at least have a familiarity with the swift catalog because you and i did a podcast together where we played live live to tape several taylor swift songs and and you know sang them to uh greater and lesser degrees of of fidelity um did you listen to the whole album just to this track what were your reactions? Um, I have not had a chance to listen to the entire album. I did listen to the song. Um, before I give my thoughts on it, though, I will say, Christina, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 32. Um, which, just to be clear, here's a reference to the fact that Taylor Swift is 32 years of age at this time now. Um, a whole 10 years older than um, she was, well, at least you know, notionally, when she released the song 22, when she said, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Uh, I am somewhere north of, slightly north of 32 years of age, so I'm um, coming up from a slightly different perspective. But um, yeah, so, okay, so let me hear, I'm, I will, as a, um, let's see this, as an appreciator of Taylor Swift and as a uh, very interested observer in her music and her career and her art, um, here's what I'll say is like, you know, I, I, her, her journey is an interesting one. Um, I love to talk about Taylor Swift and think about Taylor Swift in her and her place in the culture. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of her music per se. Um, I do enjoy some Jack Antonoff though. He's like, you know, part of that broader new and new, uh, Springsteen, uh, genre, um, right along there with the killers as we talked about, um, uh, on, on the podcast a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, and like the, degree to which she is like really leaning into the kind of self-awareness like kind of this idea of taylor swift as a meta pop culture character um that can fully inhabit and inform all of these songs or albums is just like endlessly fascinating to me and, like you know maybe no one else can do this except taylor swift if you have to be as big as taylor swift by which i mean like you know 18 feet tall um which we'll talk about the specific image more in, in the video um, maybe you have to be that big uh, in order to pull this sort of thing off. But um, it is just like very different from uh, from what I understand of like um, what other pop uh, uh, pop artists are doing. And um, I, I like I, I love to think about it and love to talk about it because like it's it's like kind of weird. If anybody else were doing it, it, it would be um, like alienating, like way overly navel gazing. And yet because it's Taylor Swift, like, you know, we can. Um, we can join in, in gazing into her navel. See, that sounds creepy when I say that we, we're joining gazing in, into into her navel. Um, but uh, kind of like exploring her psyche along with her. 
um, I think uh, way Christina said, like, you know, growing up with her is like a, is a really good way to put it. You know, although like, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I can't can't, can't again referring to my age, I can't say I'm quite like Taylor Swift's contemporary. Um, but uh, seeing her kind of you know fully inhabit more fully inhabit adulthood, um, it's certainly an interesting thing, and um, I'm here to talk about it. So yeah. those are my initial reactions there. Pete, are are you as the kids say here for it? Sure, of course. And I, I had a couple of thoughts. Christina, thank you so much for joining the podcast. First of all, you have a great podcasting voice, so please come back. Uh, second of all, uh, great to hear somebody who has a credible history of listening to Taylor Swift. I admire what she's done uh, in terms of starting out more country-oriented. We used to talk about her business acumen as something very impressive. Not that we wouldn't talk about that anymore, but it was the kind of thing where that was what stood out to me as most impressive. I will, I will – I'm really interested in, in the word self-esteem, which are were so often used when we were younger to refer to a sort of superficial, sort of functional fondness. And as you get older, I think it's very possible, maybe not guaranteed, to see self-esteem as a much bigger thing. And and the way that you've described it really resonates with me. I want to contrast. Taylor Swift, perhaps briefly, with another artist who's done a lot of stuff similar. Like when Mark is saying that you have to be pretty the thing, Mark, the thing you're saying that that Taylor Swift does that you have to be pretty big to do is like make each album about yourself. Is that the idea? And like sort of telling the sort of story of how you feel about yourself at different points in your life and have everybody sort of hang on what you're saying about yourself. I think it's that, but also doing it in a, in a very particular way. Right. Like uh, this yeah. is to zoom out for a second. Right. Like, you know, songwriters, the singer songwriter model and, you know, that artist writing about him or herself is nothing new. Right. I mean, if anything, like that's like one of the defining features of this sort of music. Right. Where the singer can be like very autobiographical, autobiographical and like authentically represent themselves. Um, but like particularly like her commenting on her, not just her kind of um, her internal emotional life, but also like perceptions of her and um and like how she's portrayed in the media in particular like that i feel like is a pretty it, it if not an innovation like the degree and extent to which she talks about it and everybody can be along with the conversation is feels very novel to me yeah i, I think it's something that you see much more often in hip-hop the, the artist who comes to mind as an as an amusing comparison is lil wayne <laughs> who, I think through, yeah, think about think about a contemporary of early Taylor Swift is is Lil Wayne up there in uh, big time in in uh, in the mainstream music charts and whatnot. And uh, Christina oh, has the those, most skeptical look on her face yeah, right well, now. I'll tell you what the difference is. The similarity, right, is that Lil Wayne constantly talks about himself. Like most of the songs are about Lil Wayne by Lil Wayne, right? And they also chart this presumed interest in Lil Wayne's life. Right. Like this, I was riding in a car the other day and like, this is what happened to me. And it was a, it was a large group sex act. Right. Like, this is my song about my, my trouble, my weird and troubled love life. Uh, and, and of course, like the difference is the biggest difference that comes to mind is I think it's probably hard to find an artist with less self-esteem than Lil Wayne in this larger sense that we're talking about. If you want to speculate about kind of his psychological, uh, his psychological upbringing, his sort of development as a person, you know, is sort of an orphan, you know, kind of adopted by his producer who then kind of became his adversary. You know, somebody who was huge when he was super young to a degree they can't possibly have fully comprehended and who has. Wait, this is own- this is the plot of Batman Begins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lil Wayne is Batman is what I'm saying. But but when you when you think about what I was thinking about is I was thinking of Mr. Carter. The song Mr. Carter, where he says stuff like, I feel like spring because I, I, I the spring hates me because I've never sprung. I'm hotter than the summer. Uh, the seasons, they hate me for no reason. Right. Uh, and, it, and it's just sort of lacking in, in any sort of textured self-consideration and isn't about the sort of immediate experience of uh, of kind of having a public persona, having people respond to the public persona, having a feeling about other people responding to the public persona. And. There's something maybe the thing that impresses me the most about Taylor Swift is just how she's managed to hold herself together. She seems to have a self-esteem, she, which which seems to have persisted through, you know, the, the life that could have gone Bonaduce side up. Right. Um, very easily, uh, especially 
considering the young country singer tendency to be kind of paraded around singing as wiser than your years. I feel like that's a that's I feel like that's a trope in country music where you have a child or a young girl, you know, come out and sing some sort of song that belies some sort of greater sadness or wisdom about the world, which like maybe they wrote, but they can't possibly really understand. And uh, not at least the way that other people understand it. And, and you get this sense that like that that these singers are are being put forward as kind of authentic representations of themselves, but are really speaking as proxies for the older people that are kind of handling and managing them. Um, and and so then to watch that person mature is an interesting proposition because so much of what they might do when they were young has already been skipped so many steps. Right. It's already already been kind of vaulted forward into the thoughts, feelings, sexual relationships of like much older people. Um, and Taylor Swift doesn't doesn't never did that and hasn't done it in ways that I can't say about somebody like, say, like, well, I like compare another person to compare Taylor Swift to with regards to self-esteem would be like Demi Lovato. Right. Very troubled. Lots of personal difficulty clearly is is having a sort of self-image crisis in the in the capital C sense of the word, right? Like, you know, various sorts of crossroads where she is, you know, this month she thinks this about herself, that month she thinks something fundamentally different about herself. Uh, I mean, I don't even, we're not even going to talk about uh, Yi who must not be named uh, and his various struggles uh, articulating to everybody his high opinion of himself, uh, which comes from his low opinion of himself. But yes, but that like all this arc for Taylor, and I've been talking way too much, but just, especially listening to this anti-hero song, her arriving at this place, having gone through all these other places, I'm just surprised that her her de personal development wasn't arrested more at some point. I'm impressed that that at some point she wasn't, you know, she didn't sort of become old before her time. Uh, she she sort of seems to have experienced the events in sequence. Like, uh, what, what would yeah. be the song? What would be the lyrics of the song that that, you know, Taylor might do or someone in her position might do in that? that situation because all i can think of is the little red riding hood uh song from into the sondheim's into the woods where you know like uh i know things now many valuable things uh that i never knew before do not put your faith in a cape and a hood they will not protect you the way that they should and take extra care with strangers even flowers have their dangers and though scary is exciting nice is different than good uh that's See, that the sounds like a taylor swift song <laughs> <laughs> right? Am I way off base? It has that too much. Like a Taylor Swift song. It has too much melody. Ow. Well. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I mean, Christina, when you talk about the self-esteem of Taylor Swift, can I? Can you flesh that out a little bit more and what that means to you? Because I just think it's a fascinating concept. Um. So I don't know. Like being an an OG Swifty, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, in two thousand. 2016 2017 she released this album called reputation um up until she released reputation nobody saw her in public for a year and a half um she she this is when the whole like um the thing with actually you who must not be named um the phone call um where he said that he asked her permission to mention her in a song um using a derogatory term she said she never did and then uh you know kim kardashian recorded it um and then she just she was not seen in public for a year and oh. a half and this um, is the thing where she was labeled as a snake she was labeled right? as a snake yeah this period yeah uh, this period and i think i think this was um uh explored in the in the documentary that came exactly, out exactly yeah that's like, exactly where i was going ago, with yeah. it um she she really gets into it in the documentary um and and I think that that was a big turning point for her. There is a rumor. I don't know if we'll ever know the truth, but there's a rumor that there was a completely different album from Reputation planned. And then after all of this stuff with this phone call went down, the whole thing was scrapped and um, and she started writing songs for Reputation. Um, so I think that was a big turning point for her music um and kind of like 
she kind of hit reset on everything. I think that there's, it's interesting, you can probably trace like distinct periods of the career, right? Like there's the early period where she was talking about like, a normal life, you know, she wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts, she's cheer clapped in it, Captain Clapton. <laughs> cheer, cheer Clapton. Cheer Clapton. <laughs> Is it cheer Clapton or sad Clapton? <laughs> it depends. Yeah, it depends if it's the unplugged set or the, you know, the early one. That um that like uh she's cheer captain and i'm on the, on the bleachers this is a sort of recognizable right like this is a uh, an average expectable sort of experience like someone being in high school and like feeling you know i don't know feeling unpopular and you know coping with coping with social standing and, Which, and things like by this. the way Chris, christina correct me if i'm wrong but taylor Swift didn't actually have that regular high school experience right like she was already a professional musician was basically like to the extent that she had formal education, was being tutored on the road, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think they moved to Nashville when she was 13 or 14 um, so that she could start performing in like various venues around there. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's actually, that's the point that I wanted to make. It actually wasn't her life, right? It was right. a, it was a kind of a constructed idea, um, but it was a constructed idea of a kind of like American normalcy that, that a lot of people could, could r- relate to. But after the kind of the, the, the effect of the reset, it, I think is kind of like, well, what is the, what is the thing that all of these pieces are adding up to, right? Like I'm making all these records. I'm, I'm Taylor Swift in this, uh, in this scenario. Hello. Uh, welcome to my concert. Um, that like, uh, what do they, they, adding up to and the idea that she's kind of constructing a taylor swift out of taylor swift pieces you know is like is the is the kind of the interesting uh is the interesting thing and that like like uh the sort of the creating the identity and creating the kind of the the um story of the identity, which always was distinct from the actual person who, like, as Mark points out, you know, was in, uh, w- was in a tour bus when everyone else was in high school, actually, you know, feeling envious of, of popular kids or whatever. Um, but, but now it's, it's this kind of, it, it's this kind of, um, it's this kind of other thing. It's this sort of like Taylor Swift celebrity thing. And the, and the, the, the effect of that reset was that, like, you got to, uh, you, you sort of s- saw yourself as, as, as being, uh, you know, as being kind of a kaiju, right? Like as like being a, you know, uh, operating on the level of Godzilla and Mothra, and realizing that you're not a, a a person, you know, screaming and running for the hills. You're one of the, um, you're one of the Godzillas, and that you have to, uh, you know, that that you have to kind of write a different kind of song, and you have to kind of behave in a different kind of way to, um you know, hang out, uh, hang out in that, uh, hang out in yeah. that rarefied company. So there's like, there's a couple of things I want to add to this piece here, right? It's like, you know, when we talked about the, the reset earlier, right? This is most, um, clearly evinced in the, um, the, the, the single from reputation, right? Look what you made me do. Right. Where, um, again, like this idea of like Taylor Swift as the meta characters, it's, it's really like Taylor Swift cinematic universe. It's really fascinating, right? Like different versions of Taylor show up in that video. And then like, there's a spoken monologue in that song. It's like, you know, what, uh, um, the old Taylor, she's dead, right? Like, you know, that, that, um, you know, there's this like constructed identity and whatever, you know, cheer captain, um, th- uh, that we thought we knew or, or uh, uh, you know, who was on the bleacher cheer captain that was sitting on the bleachers, right. That we thought we knew she's dead. And now we have this like, you know, very complex, uh, um, amalgamation of multiple Tays, um, which have all, you know, uh, grown up into this kaiju that we see in the video now, like, I don't know, this is, this, this, uh, if no other place might be a good place to like kind of pivot a little bit more specifically into the antihero video, right? Since we keep bringing up the, um, the very, the fascinating image of 18 foot tall, uh, kaiju Taylor Swift, uh, kind of, you know, lumbering above, above the populace here, right? Like, um, I don't know, don't even want to kind of take a stab at trying to synopsize like the song and the music video, specifically here Pete, go for it i'm sure you i'm sure there was a lot that you wanted to jump in on there so we'll just hand we'll just pass the mic i'll I'll try to make it somewhat succinct i'll say that this is a song about self-consideration meeting literally meeting yourself right it's a fiction of meeting yourself when you were younger and but and reminiscing with yourself about the things that you've been through i think is the the main gist that i get and then also a sort of ongoing confessional that goes from that point forward about how you relate in particular to young people younger than you now. So it's sort of, how do I relate to younger me? How do I relate to 
younger people around me who are not me? How must they see me now? How do I see myself then? Those were the the levers that I was picking up from both the song and the uh, and the video, and that uh, um, that that it, in particular, I think it, it, it's really connected to this idea that that these girls get brought into this business so young, and and they are uh, put in these environments through for her to sort of feel like all the people around her are so far out of her age group, and you think she was Leonardo DiCaprio, but she's like. 15 years younger than he is right or something like that um that's a oh back to last you know and leonardo dicaprio as a person what what's up so th- <laughs> that also yeah. we should also bring the changes to some of the other um the visual images that, that we oh, see yeah, yeah, in this yeah, video yeah, here yeah. right and, and it starts off with like um i guess we can only be described as a as a um horror-ish sequence um that is very much set in like 1970s home with home decor but also with like cartoonish ghosts with sheets on their heads. So it's not really meant to be scared of it, but like there is like kind of a horror thing that happens there before they go to the, we've talked about a few times now, right? A dinner party where everybody's sitting around at their normal size and then Kaiju Toast so comes in. And then uh, there's also, uh, right, you know, um, uh, younger Taylor Swift that shows up. And there's a lot of drinking in this as well. That's a, like you know, a very important detail of this. And then the whole thing kind of ends with current Taylor Swift um, on the roof with younger Taylor Swift uh, and also hanging out with Kaiju. Yeah, Taylor Swift. Wait, and I guess did you see that as younger Taylor Swift, or was that like bad Taylor Swift? Was that like bad influence Taylor Swift? Maybe both. Was that Reputation I, era? Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do, uh, Taylor Swift. I mean, I would have to ask Christina about the insignificance of the iconography of Taylor Swift having curly versus straight hair, which I feel like has to mean something chronologically or metatextually in her depiction over time is that something that the fans talk about like whether her hair is straight or curly at any given spot i think that the curly hair is definitely associated with her earlier albums um probably up until reputation where she has more of a like she has like some bangs um and like a a wave to her hair but like the curly hair that she flipped around in the first couple of albums i think like she hasn't really ever gone back to that. Yeah, that's what. So when I saw it, I first thought it was going to be a younger version of herself, like de-aged or something. But then I was like, no, it's not. She's not, she's not working very hard to make this person look super younger than she is. They're not going for that kind of effect. So but at the same time, she did seem aesthetically more aligned with younger Taylor Swift. And I I wonder whether there's something here about if I hadn't changed or who the impression that I gave by what I did that you now think that I am and that I guess I think that I am. It reminds me, it all reminds me of a particular um, piece that was going around a bunch of years ago at this point, must've been five or seven years ago about uh, people praising, somebody was praising art by uh, teenagers and was saying that that the reason that teenagers dominate culture so much and why people love teenagers so much is that they're oppressed. That teenagers are are they're in a world where they don't have control of their lives. They uh, they have are sort of screaming out for independence and freedom. Uh, they are you know they are sort of necessarily revolutionary as these teenagers because the world is forcing them to do something that's very inauthentic to themselves yeah. at this point in their life. But of course it's a fact of necessity because you know they need to get to that point where they can do stuff right this is this is a part of human development and so there's a kind of a relationship between this social place i mean this is something we talked about a lot when we talk about the hunger games right the sort of right. relationship of a teenager why a dystopic fiction in general yeah exactly exactly and so the idea that the teenager who is screwing up is sympathetic because they have like limitations placed on them in their life that they're trying to get through they're trying to figure things out Right. Uh, and, and a lot of the things that are wrong with them, you can kind of blame on other people and give them the benefit of the doubt. But when you're in your 30s, you're not a teenager anymore. And when you look back at the screw ups you've accumulated in your life, a lot of them really start looking like your fault. Right? <laughs> like, uh, And it's almost like, where's the point where your youthful indiscretions stop being youthful and forgivable? And and uh, for Taylor Swift, I mean, when when was anything that she ever did forgivable by anyone? Right. Like uh, in the sense of like she's a constant target of hatred and judgment. 
Um, you know, and, and like, uh, and, and I, and I don't think that she's like going out there to say F the haters in this particular album, but, but I think it's sort of part of the landscape that like, she's taking ownership here in a way that I wouldn't think that she, that anybody would be secure enough to do of the choices that she made in the past that she, I wouldn't necessarily say regrets, but, uh, but frame her as a deeply flawed person, but, but not in a way that's particularly different from other people. Um, maybe older people, maybe everybody who has been around the block a few times, uh, is sort of the anti-hero of their own story because they've done stuff and, uh, and thought stuff and said stuff in the past that, um, that was excusable and that now has sort of become who they are. So, I mean, the, the, the chorus of this song is it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me at tea time. Everybody agrees. I stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting. Always rooting for the anti-hero. Which does not rhyme. Ow! But the um, <laughs> but the uh, the whole um, you know the 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 whole picture of that right is like a multiplicity of voices because like at tea time everybody agrees makes it sound like it's it's there's something about it that's that's ironic like oh the the received wisdom is that or like you know word on the street is that everything everything is my fault but then there's also a, a certain amount of introspection and like i stare directly at the center never in the mirror right like i don't want to look at my my own faults i will do self-destructive things but not uh, uh right but not introspect um which is in itself a kind of uh, uh you know a kind of introspection and also right. kind of like taking taking responsibility for like yeah in, in the way that Pete is talking about, yeah, like I'm the problem, you know. Um, hey, if if uh, if I keep getting into the same scrapes in every single situation <laughs> that I'm in, maybe maybe the one uh, constant here is me and my behavior, and maybe I need to maybe I need to look at that. So there there, but but it strikes me that there's a balance between like between those things, between the kind of the the uh, everybody's opinion. Right. Every, what everybody agrees, the kind of like, uh, conventional, conventional wisdom and the, the, um, the fruits of, of introspection and the fruits of sort of maturity, which are related to that, but it's distinct from it because they happen, you know, when you look, they happen when you look in the mirror and they're, they're not like, you know, you're, you, you don't get, you don't get shamed into being wiser or more mature. You know, you don't get scolded into, uh, into really being wiser or more mature. I just want to like also talk about the last line of that chorus, right? Which is um, impersonal, right? It it must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero, right? She's not necessarily saying like I am. I consider myself to be an antihero, or people consider me to be the antihero. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero. Who was doing the rooting for the antihero? Not you know, like I think it's pretty safe to assume that Taylor Swift considers herself to be. She's labeling herself an antihero. Um, so we should talk about like, what the heck does that even mean? And, um, you know, what is her definition working definition of antihero and what, if anything, are we supposed to take from this kind of, um, uh, dispassionate, you know, disconnected assessment of herself as the antihero and, 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 uh, who, who's doing the rooting for her. Pete, uh, what is the, uh, what, what is the antihero and who is her niece or nephew? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Is it the is the anti-hero? Is it the ante-hero? A-N-T-E, the hero before. Uh, I, I think about this a lot because I like Venom so much, who I think is like when I think about anti-hero, I think, OK, well, what's Venom? Because Venom's an anti-hero. But I, I would say that uh, there, I, I, there's a kind of term where overdefining it can take away from its usefulness. But what I would suggest is that most of the time an anti-hero, rather than merely a sympathetic jerk, is somebody who does not have the intention or the uh, the character to be a sort of admirable, helpful, altruistic, self-sacrificing person and to do the things that are necessary for the greater good of society or the individual good of, of people who need help, but who, by the virtue of being thrust into circumstances that align with their interests and personality in particular ways, accomplishes that goal nonetheless and thus uh you know attracts a certain uh adulation and admiration that might in other cases be more conveniently consonant with their own character right so like you're a bad person in a situation where you end up saving a whole bunch of lives you're the hero but you're an anti-hero because the more we delve into you the more we see that you're not you're not heroic 
But of course, you know, heroic with this sort of ancient Greek sense doesn't really resonate with all this stuff. It's really more of a more of a chivalric sense of the hero being somebody who's both morally morally good and violent, right? <laughs> like uh, uh, somebody who is sort of self-sacrificing and courteous and uh, and does all the things that society wants them to do, which do uh, up to and including stabbing people. Um, and in that sense, it's like, okay, I am Taylor Swift. I'm the antihero because I'm doing the things that protagonists that are rooted for do because of my situation, but I don't have the positive aspects of character and of history and of intent that you would expect from somebody who is worth it. Right. Um, and, Mm. uh, uh, but at the same well, time, you don't necessarily have the luxury when you are the antihero of being like of rooting for the hero because you're you, right? And and you uh, you're biased. <laughs> you have a certain perspective on yourself, um, and that's part of what makes antiheroes endearing. I think is is the way that they self consider in uh, in in sympathetic and and identifiable ways, if not in authentic ones, because it's often pretty yeah so broadly performed. My, my working my go to definition of antihero is going to be quite different, which okay, is going to be like. Walter Wright, Tony Montana, um, someone who is, you know, uh, you know, by uh, art, uh, in, well, but basically a villain. Right. But like right. manages to be sympathetic because of charisma um, and also just because of the amount of agency that they portray in their characters um, so that it it, it feels um, they're just very alluring and empowering and interesting. Um and, and thinking about that, like, you know, that, that that doesn't quite fit Taylor Swift either. But like if if there's if she's like wallowing in self-loathing, I could see I can maybe see herself uh, taking on some of that aspect. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said before, like, uh, you know, it, it is very arresting. It is very compelling to watch a Taylor Swift story, um, even if she is no, not, not like, you know, um, uh She's not, if not villainous, she's, you know, does not like, you know, take on the mantle of a, of a straightforward hero. I mean, Christina, what do you think about antihero? Who, in what way, how do you, how does that resonate with you as somebody who's familiar, more familiar with Taylor's extended artistic self consideration? The way I sort of viewed it was um, she is in this position of self loathing and in a way she's kind of like subconsciously rooting for like, like in the music video, I think that the other Taylor is like a younger Taylor or or bad Taylor. And I think she's saying that it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to be in this state of self-loathing a lot of the time. Um, so, so I think with the last line, like, it must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero. I think that whether, like, she's subconsciously having behaviors that support this antihero. So she has a self-image and she has behaviors that support the self-image, mm-hmm. but she doesn't like herself. So it's not necessarily that. So, like, think about uh, the classic. Here's some examples of some antiheroes that I, 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 this is interesting. My, my disagreement, not disagreement, but my different perspective on the word from Mark. And I'm sure that you know you could look up it up in a dictionary, but that's that's no fun. Um, but the idea that, like, I think of like Wolverine as an antihero. I'm the best at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice, right? It's like what he's saying is I stab people to death, right? So not Hugh Hugh Jackman. Wolverine is a hero. Right. Like comic book Wolverine from that particular era where he's like soaked in blood and and uh, and uh, knifing people left and right and kind of barking at everybody in a way that isn't endearing is like an antihero. Um, but it's not like he his him loathing himself would make him more heroic because he would be recognizing that the things about him that are sort of rejectable from a moral social relationship are like bad. Right. Um, when you think like Venom, Venom like unapologetically likes to eat people. Um, the symbiote does. And of course, Eddie Brock tries to sort of keep that in check to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, Venom doesn't really hate himself. He revels in himself. Uh, Spawn kind of goes both ways on it. You know, this is the, I think this is the the time that antiheroes were really huge in the sort of dark comic book era of like the late 80s or early 90s. Um, or even just like Dirty Harry, 
right? Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood. He's the Wikipedia picture is like the man with no name for uh, for anti fe- for antihero. Yeah. I think I think yeah, that it's yeah. it's actually I've I've been down this Wikipedia rabbit hole. I think the link you should click here on this Wikipedia page that you're looking at is the link for the Gothic Double as the model of of antihero because like there you, we've sort of talked about two two different kinds: the Wolverine model and the Tony Montana model. But the 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 Gothic Double, the like the Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde mm. type of um, type of double i think is is almost the the sort of thing that that we're uh you know that we're we're thinking about uh here where it's where it's like all the or or the let's call it the twins model of uh of hero anti-hero right where there's arnold schwarzenegger taylor taylor swift and then there's danny devito taylor swift right <laughs> and that like the the two uh you know the two are are you know halves of the halves of the same halves of the same person but one all the like all the you know the good stuff goes into and one all the you know all the bad stuff um all the bad stuff goes goes into. I think that I I think that this is all really complicated by the fact that this idea of Taylor Swift is not. I mean, it's are are you talking about a a, a person who's who's having um are you talking about a person who's having experiences and writing about them or are you talking about like a kind of an image? Are you talking about something that's being kind of constructed at a remove? That is this this idea of of swiftiness. You know, uh, this idea of like, like the, the character of uh, the, the character or product of, of, uh, you know, this, this celebrity pop star who, you know, interacts in a world of celebrity, like with other Godzillas. And that, and that's the, um, uh, that, that's the thing that like, you know, it's never, that there's a lot of slippage, I think, between the two, between the two different identities. And I, I think maybe that's what, that's what giant Taylor Swift, that's what like 18 foot Taylor Swift, uh, represents, right? Like, both a, both a sense, I guess, of like too muchness of like, uh, you know, I don't know, too, um, older, but, but never wiser or just kind of like not, you know, I don't know, not, not like having too many feelings, too many needs, too, too, you know, big or, or, demanding or demonstrative or whatever. Uh, but then also like a literal celebrity, like a literal larger than life, uh, person, you know, who kind of can't fit into, can't fit into houses, like doesn't have, you know, which means doesn't have a domestic life, doesn't have a normal social life and needs to, needs to kind of, you know, hang out attack of the 50 foot woman style, um, outside, uh, towering, towering over, towering over, over everything she touches, and that the, like John Wayne in The Searchers, right? Right, exactly. Like when <laughs> when he when John Wayne comes in and he's literally eighteen feet tall, and he's like he he starts he's he's framed in the doorway with the the horizon behind him, and as he walks towards the house, you realize that he's actually three times the size of the <laughs> of the he house. Takes a the, bottle of whiskey. In the, in the uh, searchers. It is like, I mean, the, the, the Cowboys, you know, I, the Cowboys is a particular, um, is a particular take on the chivalric ideal because it does, it, it's the thing that I bring up over and over that seems to be encoded in, in the American idea that like our, our peace and security is based on the action of, um, uh, the the action of people who act in support of the community, but who, whose actions exclude them from the community, and even the non revisionist westerns, like you know the John Ford westerns, like at the end of his Wyatt Earp movie, um, Henry Fonda like rides out of town. The camera stays in town with uh, with the love interest Clementine, and uh, and Wyatt Earp rides away because he's a you know violent man, cowboy violent guy and he's got to go away and the the town the domesticity of the town can't like um can't contain him and so this this idea that like or uh, as jack nicholson puts it in a few good men we live in a world with walls and those walls are guarded with men by men with guns who's gonna do that you uh the uh, uh the um we recognize the necessity that that these people uh that these people exist and there there's almost a, a kind of a sacrificial um there's a, a, almost a sacrificial quality to that and that uh you know the the um the i don't know the, the, what i'm saying is that 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 taylor swift grew large so that we might dine uh in a in a at a dining table with our friends it is interesting how gendered a lot of what we're talking about is totally because yeah, because I don't generally think of, I don't think of femme fatales as antiheroes. Like like a like a character 
in a, in a show or a movie who has a similar effect on the events of the show or movie as an antihero, but ha- but is a woman, right? I think in the broader culture and by sort of you know, I can't even think like is there. Like me. I mean, I'm sure we'll get we can get comments or you know talking the Discord about this, but like, can you think of a TV show that is like The Sopranos but centered on a woman? I guess Glenn Close did one. A, a, FX television show called Damages, where she was a, a lawyer with like questionable moral stuff uh, going on. She was, you know, I didn't watch Weeds or The Good Wife, um, but I don't know. I mean, the, the, that's yeah, I don't. Know, that's more like The Good Wife. Yeah, The that. Good Wife. The Good Wife was a little different. Weeds. Weeds yeah. was also a little different, though. Actually, Weeds yeah. is Weeds is an interesting one where she has a Tony. I mean, she becomes kind of a drug kingpin, you know, or right. at least a, a drug trafficker, and. Uh, is yeah it does this all while being a woman simultaneously and uh definitely kind of has different different than tony soprano vibes ozark explores this a little bit more than some of these other shows in terms of having both male and female i guess anti-heroes it what i'm just suggesting is i think the word carries some baggage right Uh, yeah that like taylor swift calling herself an anti-hero it's not the word you would expect her to use um, no, um, oh, that's interesting that because she can't, because she can't, the, the gendered idea of hero as male is, um, uh, gendered idea of hero as male precludes her from being an anti-hero because of the, the gender. Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about the canonical example of like feminine heroism, which is of course, Mariah Carey's hero, right? Uh, it's like, or like, <laughs> I guess I would say that like, um, well, wait, the, my, the idea- Mariah Carey is talking about a, a third party hero. You know, uh, the hero comes along with the strength to carry on and you, yeah, but the hero lies in you, Matt, when you finally see the truth, the hero <laughs> lies in you. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that like in the context of, and again, I'm, I'm talking about, it's a bunch of dudes talking about this. Well, we don't let, we're not letting the woman get a word in edgewise. So I sincerely apologize. Um, but I'm thinking like, there is a notion that's, of, Pete, that's because we're antiheroes. Yeah, that's that's right. Hmm. We're, the, we're the we're villains, is what we were heels. Um, but yeah, like that. Uh, that there's an idea that it is heroic to kind of be true to yourself in in, in a uh, in a sort of um, feministic way. Be it, yet, it, there's not a way to be anti-heroically true to yourself that I've heard about before. Though perhaps that's what Taylor Swift is exploring here, um, which is like you know, you're the hero. What is what are some songs I think about that hit that vibe? Right. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Right. Like I have to be the hero for myself. Um, you know, the uh, uh, in, in the sense of like I have to ex- experience my own courage and self-conception because nobody in society is mirroring it back to me. Um, and uh, and nobody is sort of giving me permission or showing me the way to to explore myself. But Taylor Swift is so far beyond that. She's been exploring herself this whole time. Um, and now she's, she's a couple levels deep, uh, a couple more levels deep than all that. I don't know. Christina, is any of this, am I totally off base here? Am I anywhere close to kind of the, the lexicon or the phantasmagoria of Swifty and self-conception? Um, does she call herself a hero anywhere else? Is that a word that Taylor Swift ever uses? I don't think so off the top of my head. Um, I think part of her... Part of her, like, songwriting journey, for lack of a better word, is that she, and, and I think this has been heightened, especially since um, since Reputation, is that she, she writes as someone who is, you know, like, deeply flawed and has faults and um, not necessarily bad qualities, but but she never really takes the position that she is a hero or that she's perfect. And I think that's something that, that, you know, the people that like her music really resonate with. She never like claims to be God or says that she's no. Jesus or that she should rule the world. <laughs> I'll go beyond that as well. I, I feel like, um, especially in a song like this, and it was also with the imagery, like, you know, she's giving herself a bit of an out, which goes back to earlier what we're talking about, how like, you know, this song is, not purely autobiographical with Taylor Swift, but it's like, you know, um, about the character, the persona of Taylor Swift. And I'm specifically referring to the funeral and last will and testament scene 
in the video towards the end. Right. So let me just kind of set the stage here for those who haven't seen this video. And it's a five minute long music video. Y'all like just go watch it and, and catch up here. But the lyrics go, I have this dream. My daughter in law kills me for the money. She thinks I left them in the will. The family gathers around and reads it. And then someone screams up. She's laughing up at us from hell. So those are the lyrics of the song. And I think that's the point where the music drops out. And then we are treated to like a, I don't know, two minute long skit. Um, starring Mike Birbiglia and one of the uh, actors from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, at, and then another actor as um, Taylor Swift's two children, and then um, uh, and also and also daughter, the aforementioned daughter-in-law, who kills her, right? And like this, it, it, it notably, it's like right, Mike Birbiglia, noted comedic actor Mike Birbiglia, is one of the actors, and like um, the whole sequence there, I, I felt like was there. It, it's funny for so straight up there, right? Like it's, it's well done and it's funny. Um, but it's also, again, you know, to just kind of reiterate this point is to kind of just like soften some of the blows here and like give everyone a little bit of an out. It's like, Oh, okay. You know, we're all kind of just like, um, we're, we're enjoying a piece of entertainment here. <laughs> like that at least was my read of it there. I don't know if any, if, uh, if any of you saw that differently. I mean, it's profoundly strange is a fantasy of one's family and children, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, the other thing, important detail here, right, is that like they're they basically her children are just, uh, you know, um, very, you know, socially maladjusted, just kind of like the stereotype of, you know, horrible children of famous rich celebrities that are just trying to cash in on her name. And then uh, and that was the, the podcast joke that we mentioned before. Right. It's like one of her children, you know, tried to cash in on Taylor Swift's name by having a podcast. Um, yeah. I mean, I think my favorite. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, if anyone who has a podcast about Taylor Swift is cashing in on Taylor Swift's name by having a podcast, right? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> look at the show art for this episode. <laughs> the, the Tasteway tautology. <laughs> uh, sorry, Pete. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, no. It's okay. I, the moment from that skit that I like the most is when um, it's, uh, it's Mary, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, I believe is her name, the waitress from it's always sunny philadelphia is is wearing probably one of taylor swift's actual outfits right from one of her because they reference that it's her is it what's the tour called the fantasy tour the or something fear, like that fearless tour fearless tour the fearless tour um and and i mean that's uh the way that her son says it has that sort of sassy you know uh uh very extra online very kind of like um campy taylor swift not I wouldn't describe it as Taylor Swift fan energy, but definitely very campy, uh, you know, a very sort of rhinestone focused sort of uh, sort of um, energy of style and of like um, impressiveness serving up, you know, it's sort of like dragon. It's drag inspired is what I would say. It's it's a drag inspired realness moment. Uh, and it is interesting to think of this child of Taylor Swift attempting to serve up Taylor Swift realness and yet failing totally. Or is she? Right. So if she is serving up Taylor Swift realness is the realness that she's a petty jerk who is like sort of showing up to get her money uh, and and that everybody and is like pretending to be this starlet that everybody loves when in reality the person inside the dress is like completely different than the person that you know. Or is she serving up Taylor Swift realness in the sense of she has a parasocial relationship with her own mother who she never talked to because Taylor Swift feels alienated from everybody in her life. Uh, and so like her fans who also have a similar parasocial relationship with Taylor Swift is the idea that Taylor Swift's fans are her children and she's a terrible mom because she's not there, but they're also terrible kids because they still seem to presume a relationship that doesn't exist and, uh, and, and are in it for sort of personal gain of being associated with her cachet. Um, right. That's why I called it a, a, a profoundly weird fantasy of like, of, you know, family life, because it, it involves like, you'd have to have three, three or two children, I guess. Um, be a bad parent for a long, for a decades long period of time. <laughs> Right. Which I don't think is harder than being a pa bad parent for a short period of time, but <laughs> I guess it's more, more unpleasant. Yeah. yeah I, guess, I mean, <laughs> it's more unpleasant for the kids for sure. I don't know. I just feel like life wants to beat you into shape at a, you know, at a, at a certain point, like the, the, there is a kind of inertia towards wisdom, uh, as you get older and it takes energy to resist it. It takes, you know, <laughs> you got to try, um, you got to try to remain a jerk. Uh, the, the, uh, but then, right. But then 
like, uh, yeah, but then like be, be remain estranged from them well into their, well into their adulthoods. And it, it would seem that the person that would do that, that would raise a family like that lacks even the, um, lacks even the, uh, you know, sort of introspection that it took to write the lyrics to this song, right? Like you think the person oh, yeah, who yeah. could the person who could write this song and kind of like really investigate, you know, their own culpability and things happening in their lives and and, you know, their their uh, reluctance to introspect and things like that would be someone who has enough juice to like, you know, be an OK, but OK enough parent, you know, and yeah. not you like- would think that. Yeah, yeah. This is a very imposter syndrome kind of song where she's convinced she she's convinced she's so bad. But if she's even thinking of it this way, she's not as bad as she thinks she is, because a whole lot of people don't even think about it. <laughs> like uh, a lot of people are perfectly fine with doing all these things and just not not caring about the effect they have on anyone else. Yeah, I mean the thing so. the thing that's interesting to me, Christina, and a lot of in a lot of what you're saying is kind of talking about you know self esteem. I, I agree, self esteem. We could do a whole podcast on the word self esteem. Like, do you esteem? Do you esteem yourself? What is the relationship between self esteem and self conception or self worth? Right, which are kind of related but distinct phenomena. I think it's a whole a whole interesting thing. But like, is this? I mean, that that is the the the, the interesting thing about the concept of self esteem is that it's on a it's on a continuum, right? Like, how do you esteem yourself? You know, well, I esteem myself highly. I esteem myself badly. I esteem myself like as a you know. Uh, I don't know, as a uh, bad, uh, as a uh, 18 foot giant is how I, is how I uh, esteem myself. But you're sort of talking about these, the, the, um, the experience, the, the topic, the subject matter of these being like some, some thorny problems, right? She's having thorny personal issues about like, uh, about her self-conception, about, you know, feeling, uh, responsible for bad things happening, for about being in, in, you know, all kinds of psychic distress. And yet she keeps releasing, releasing hit records <laughs> over and over, you know, over and over and over and over. And people, people really seem to like, uh, really seem to like like what she's laying down they seem to be picking it up so so like what what is the relationship like who is the who's the taylor swift who's releasing a lot of hit records right and and i think feeling herself a little bit in terms of like the the um there was a really fun promo campaign for this where she like revealed the names of records uh in tiktok videos using like an old style wire cranked lottery machine with ping pong balls with numbers of tracks in it and things like this like that was you know stylish and fun and and like yeah she seems to be kind of you know really putting out there something something that she likes that she wants to put out there that she's proud of and then like dealing with the the you know, some of the more, more thorny, thorny issues. Like just as a, I, I ask you as the world's foremost expert on, you know, on Taylor Swift, how do you, how do you think about her sort of reconcile those two aspects of what's, what's going on with her? I think that, I think that what I sort of take away from that is that all of the money in the world, all of the adoration in the world can't keep one from having those thorny feelings. Um, and again, I think that's something that, that people really identify with that, that everyone has these kinds of feelings and there's really, I mean, there, there are ways to deal with them, but, but they're not. Well, they drink a lot in the, they drink a lot. Um, but they're not necessarily solved by money or adoring fans or, you know, followers on social media. So what you have to do really is, uh, sit out on the, sit out on the roof and have a bottle of wine with your, uh, younger or bad influence self and with your 18 foot self. Exactly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a great strength of the song, right? Is that like, you know, and with a lot of Taylor Swift songs, like, even though like they're, you know, very much about Taylor Swift and, you know, have, if not completely autobiographical characteristics or, you know, draw heavily from autobiography, like they remain relatable to, um, to large, uh, large audiences who enjoy the music and like find lots of emotional resonance in it. So whatever you're doing, Tay, like, you know, that, that, that thing you're doing, like it, it is working. 
clearly enough. Like so, so keep it up. Good, yeah, and you're you're, you're doing great, Taylor. You're just right? fine, you know, because I know I, you're listening. I want to join you up on that roof and just like you know validate you. We, Taylor's what I'm wanna, saying. We want to have a dance party up there. We'll we'll bring the wine and and uh, everyone will bring their their 18 foot selves. Uh, alongside. I think we might need to leave our conversation there. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks very much uh, to Pete and to Mark for podcasting. And thanks especially to our uh, special guest, the world's foremost expert on, on Taylor Swift, Christina. It was wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. It was a pleasure to be here. It uh and and you you survived the uh, premarital hazing that was uh, <laughs> that was always coming. So excited for you guys. Good luck. Uh, this is going to be a great. Woo-hoo. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, next time. Yeah. Next time you hear my my voice on on this podcast, <laughs> you tell me if there's something different about me uh, at that point. Um, but uh, though I won't be back next week, we'll be back next week. Uh, we got something exciting uh, uh, cooking up uh, for you while I slip on while while Christina and I slip on our rings of power. Mm. Huh. Uh, And so we'll, uh, but uh, I'll catch you after that. Until then, you can catch us anytime at overthinkingit.com, which is where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. Hey, can, can I rewind back, right? When you made the joke about Lil Wayne being Batman, was that intentionally evoking the fact that he has Wayne in his name? He's, he's Lil Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he is Lil Wayne. That's right. No, I hadn't thought that. That's just that's just truth speaking through his lips, as it always does. <laughs> through a thick cloud of cough syrup. <laughs> <laughs>